Welcome to the Thoroughly Wrong Project with Lalo and Bob. We appreciate you spending some time with us today. Let's jump right into that weekly dose of things you can disagree with. Take it away, guys. Hey, man, check it out. We're on. All right, we're live. What's up, brother? What's up, man? Hey, welcome to the Thoroughly Wrong Project. Two weeks in a row. I'm feeling like we're on a roll, man. <laughs> How you feeling? Good. Pretty good. Yeah. I mean, a little tired, but that's just every morning. So, Yeah, that's because capitalism is slowly tearing your soul out of you, and that's that's exhausting. <laughs> and I uh, fell asleep pretty late last night, so <laughs> there's that too. Did you? Yeah. I fell asleep with at least half a drink left, so I'm kind of hungover this morning, man. Oh, okay. But I got coffee. I've discovered a brand new... Uh, I took it off Ron White. You know who Ron White is? Yeah. Yeah, I took it off of him. He said uh, he <laughs> he discovered a brand new program. It's only got six steps and you only get half sober. So I'm good. <laughs> hey, it's better than nothing, right? Well, like I've said before, I, I think... Uh, sobriety is not possible for some people i just i enjoy drinking i enjoy smoking weed i i do things that i shouldn't do but i it's not it's not that overindulgence every day that i had before now i just i just enjoy drinking um on the weekends and i don't go any further Okay. So well, that's good. It's like moderation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's what we should all be thinking about in, in our lives and not just for drugs, but uh, not just drugs and alcohol, but food and exercise and all the things, everything. If we're in moderation, <laughs> we're taking care of ourselves and right. everybody has, everybody has different takes on, you know, if you can't handle the, the alcohol, if you can't handle smoking pot because it, it, you think it leads to heroin or something, then don't do that. But stop judging other people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, uh, like I said, I got, I got half sober and that's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> that's what coffee's for on Sunday morning, right? Exactly. <laughs> for me, I, I think it's been, it's been a good minute since I've like drank. I mean, well, what depends what you mean by drink. Like, I think the most I've drank in like the past, maybe even like year, has been like, um, like two beers, like yeah. at any one time. Yeah, that's so. I don't know. I don't. I feel like the last few years for me, like drinking has become like less and less appealing yeah well um, it, do, it does i go through like cycles where i don't want to drink and i don't drink and and then someone says you want to go have a beer and then i have a beer and then it leads to i'll, I'll go through a period of time where i'll i'll drink a little bit and then like you said the appeal just wears off you just get tired of being fucked up all the time so you're like okay i'm just not going to do that for a while and then you dry out clean up a little bit yeah so i don't know maybe i'm in one of those like down cycles maybe you're on your way to becoming a pentecostal preacher i don't know about that but 
Yeah. Well, how old are you? 27? 28. 28. Yeah, man. It's... you feel are you feeling it yet like old <laughs> um i mean yeah, but- i, I want to say yes and no um but i mean there's things that i could tell are like different from when i was like 22 you know yeah yeah um which i mean to me sometimes if i think about it, it's kind of like scary just because like you I mean, it, everybody when they're young, like they just expect to be young forever. Yeah. You know, it's almost thoughtless. You're like, if you ever like, you know? if you ever like wake up with like your back hurting, you're like, you feel like that's those type of things don't happen until you're like, you know, in your fifties and your forties. Yeah, <laughs> and then you're like twenty eight, and you like pinch your sciatic nerve or something. <laughs> yeah, my wife's been down for. Uh, Laura's been down for three days. She's got a sciatic. She's 42. Yeah. She's starting to talk about, is this is this reality? <laughs> is this my life now? Yeah, it is. And I, I guarantee you it is. If you don't take care of yourself, um, you're going to pay the price. And it, I can't help what happened to me. You know, I've like for the past few days, it's been, or a few months, actually, it feels like it's been raining. And man, my shoulder aches and my hands are fucked up and I can't play the guitar very well because everything's stiff and hurts. So I think I tell people I'm like 30s that first marker. It, it was for me anyway, because as you get older, they tell you, you know, live in the moment, you know, try to stay in the moment. But when you're young, that's almost automatic because you're just living and drinking and fucking and, you know, having a great time and doing all the things, going to school. 30 was my first marker. It was like my knees started to bother me from where I played football. And I was like, wow, that's different. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's different. That doesn't, that's stiff. That's odd. And then thirties, I started to realize I'm slowing down and it wasn't in, in any, you know, huge increments. It's not like I'm going to be in a wheelchair by the time I'm 38. Uh, it was just this gradual realization of the time is passing me by and there's this it's like almost like an awakening and if you can do it 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 makes your life better because you realize okay i'm running out of time it's almost like having a slow cancer you what do i want to do before the inevitable happens yeah like i know for me even um now that i think about it the one thing that i have like the one uh, or the few occasions where I definitely notice like that your like body changes over time is um, like since we were like in high school, me and my friends, we've always enjoyed like playing football, like at the park, you know? Yeah. And um, we've always like done it and we always, you know, have like a turkey bowl and stuff like that. And um, before... Like, you know, in my early mid-20s, um, I could just, like, show up at the park and I could just, like, start playing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, like, I, I played quarterback a lot. I played quarterback a lot, so I could just, like, get there and just fucking start slinging the ball, you know? But I want to say the last, like, two, three years, like, I, li- I literally have to, like, warm <laughs> up my arm. Just stretch out, man. 
<laughs> yeah, because if I just started throwing it, like within like 10, 15 throws, my shoulder is like shot. <laughs> like completely. So I have to like literally like warm up and like, you know, lob it and like, you know, every few passes, then I start, you know, throwing it a little further and further. Yeah. And then, but then my arm feels like normal, you know, like I could, you know, throw it all day, but I can't just like show up and, you know, start running. Yeah. I Think gotta, about like, old Brady, man. Think about Tom yeah. Brady. That somebody starts stretching out on Friday night for the Sunday <laughs> game. <laughs> so, yeah, like there's definitely, I feel like things also take longer to heal now. I don't even know. I don't know if that's like even a real thing or if that's no, just dude. like in my head. No, it's it's a reality. I have my skin is thinner. I mean, I'm almost sixty, but my skin is thinner, and I bleed a lot more, and things stay scabbed over for a week instead of the three days, you know. And I'm, it's just these little markers of the reminders of hey, you know, like you said, I stepped up, like you said, I stepped at the edge of the canyon it was a couple of years ago and um i picked up a rock and i threw it into the canyon and something popped in my arm and i was like oh that's that hurt and like <laughs> it took six months dude i had to go to the hospital i had to go to the doctor and they they x-rayed it he's like you you've done something to the cartilage and i was like i threw a fucking rock into the canyon that's all that i did <laughs> so, <laughs> so yep you're slowing down. We're all slowing down. And I think that like um, realization for a lot of people, it's like very um, terrifying. Because I mean, you know, that's kind of like that's what causes like things like a like a midlife crisis and things like that. You know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I've been having a midlife crisis since I've been about thirty five, though, bro. So, <laughs> and I think a lot of people, because I mean when you like see and feel and notice things like that, I think a lot goes through your head. And I, th I think at some point, one of the thoughts that go through your head is like, you know, my body's like breaking down and getting old and, yeah. you know, at some point I'm going to like die. Yeah. And it may not be like very uh, conscious for a lot of people. Like they might, they might not like explicitly think like, Oh, I'm going to die. But, you know, sometimes it could be subconsciously. And I think, um, especially when you're younger, like the thought of death isn't really like present for most people, you know? Right, right. I never thought <laughs> like about I said, it. Never thought about it. Yeah, like, like I said, you feel, you know, in your early 20s, you feel like you're going to live forever. I was watching, um, I don't know if you saw, I mean, I'm sure you did, that football player that collapsed on the field not too long ago. Yeah. Uh, how could you not? <laughs> yeah. So um, there was this guy, his name's Ryan Clark. He used to play for the Steelers, actually. Um, he works for like ESPN now. He's like an analyst and stuff like that. And he was, uh, you know, he was talking about the situation. And because um, I remember he had like a scary incident too where, um, he had like a health scare and, yeah. um, you know, uh, his coach like actually didn't let him play. Like he really wanted to play like this one game. I think he, um, I forgot what it was that he had, but his coach said like, no, you're not playing. And um, he made, he made a comment 
during like his monologue that really like stood out to me. Um, and he said, at 24 years old, I didn't even know I could die. And uh, that's like very, I don't know. I feel like once you think about that, it's very, it, like it rings very true, you know? Yeah, it does. It, it, and it takes those those moments of when the rope breaks or when the car goes sideways. It's those things that, it, it's funny you should mention that. I, I felt really bad about something that happened to my kid when I got in that car accident and I almost got killed and, and Jake got killed and everything got fucked up. Elijah was um, 85. He would have been nine, maybe 10. And um, <clears throat> it was at that moment that Elijah began to think about dying. And he said, he told me, you know, later that when he was in his late twenties, we had to talk about it. He said, I have lived with the fear of death since before I was a teenager. So he's very philosophical and very, he writes very dark poetry. Um, he is, um, he has a way different life than anybody else. He's kind of a vagabond. He's not homeless. He, he's not a drug addict or anything. He just has this outlook on life that it's not, it's temporary. So he, he grew up, he did he didn't get to have that time in life where he was a superman and you know whatever happens happens there's always been that thing following him it's like this is temporary so it could be he, he could be a great writer he is a great writer he's he writes very dark things very introspective very true like almost like disturbing truths about living and capitalism and all he's I've always felt bad about that. There's nothing I could do. I mean, <laughs> there's nothing I could do. I I couldn't, you know, almost get killed and then look at Lodge and be like, hey, this is, this is, um, you're not going to die. <laughs> yeah, so it's very, uh... it must have been hard growing up for him. I, I think about that a lot where he, he said, I used to lay in bed terrified of death at age 10. And you think, holy Christ, I didn't. I've never been terrified of death. I've always been, it's always been, you know, it came, it crept up on me and then it had that happened to me. And then some other things happened to me that almost fucking took my life. And you just begin to think, okay, I've lived, I've lived this long and this happened. It could happen again. I'm probably going to die in old age because that's what most people do. And you just deal with it. But at age nine, when you, all of a sudden you're faced with your own immort or mortality that then what, then what do you do? And I feel bad for him. Yeah. And I mean, I can imagine thinking like even the idea of death at such a young age, um, I feel like it has to be very different from being an adult Yeah, Just because you know, I, your brain is like so underdeveloped, right? Like what does that even like, what does a 10-year-old think of when they think of dying, you know? Like, what does death mean to them? Yeah, he didn't and have I anybody could... to talk to about it also because he couldn't formulate the – he couldn't formulate the question, the right questions to ask. Right. So, I mean, I feel like it's very uh, – it's a very, like, confusing 
thing or like concept to grasp, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I imagine it was. So, you know, that's crazy that at such a young age, you're like, uh, you're like having to deal with that kind of things. I can imagine it just affects you like on so many different levels too. Yeah. And, and when you're working with the homeless, you know, when you hear a lot of stories about childhood trauma and that was a trauma for him and he, he made it through, I mean, he's, he's living his life, but you hear a lot about, you think about, here's a nine-year-old kid who has to face death. How about the six, seven-year-old girl who's getting raped and the little boy who's being raped and, and dad and mom die. And, and there's all these fucking things that happen to kids that they don't know how to talk about it. That you, you know, most parents, I, I certainly didn't think of like, you know, I need to put my kid in therapy right now. I didn't think of that. All I was thinking of was I got to get through this. I got to relearn how to walk. I got to relearn how to talk. I got to relearn everything in my life. And my life became very me centered and, and not in an egotistical uh, self-centered way, but more like I kicked into survival mode because if I hadn't done it, I wouldn't have lived through it. So everybody in that family, my wife, my daughter, dude, my daughter still has not gotten her driver's license because she's afraid of driving. She is 36, I think, 37. And that one traumatic event kicked off tons of PTSD in all kinds of people. My ex-wife who got the phone call says she still thinks about that phone call. My son who began to fear death at age nine, my daughter who will not get her driver's license. And I have another daughter who's just, you can tell that when she talks about that, as they were those childhood traumas, they still haven't dealt with them and they don't know how to deal with them, even in therapy. So when you're looking at a homeless person who's a drug addict and they tell you, you know, I I started getting raped when I was seven, you got to go, oh, Jesus Christ, no wonder you're fucked up. No wonder you have a big job ahead of you, man. You're going to be a therapist, right? Uh, I mean, that's the, that's the goal. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, and plus (laughs) I hope that in the future, that traumatic events are better handled because as a Gen Xer, you know, mental health issues weren't the things we were allowed to have. You couldn't be depressed. You couldn't be anxious or stressed. That was just what life was. And when you said, man, I'm having trouble, people were like, suck it up, buttercup. Move along. Yeah, it's um, the aware- the level of awareness and like um, like accessibility to treatment has definitely like exponentially increased, increased mm-hmm. you know, over the last um probably like 20 years, I'd say. Yeah. And I think a lot more people are treating mental health and mental illness more on par with like physical illness, you know? Yeah, which it should be. It right. Should be. So, um, I mean, that's definitely a good thing. But don't so you think we're, we're failing to recognize that the people who weren't taken care of, you know, that thing that went, that thing that went, 
viral or whatever you want to call it. You know, okay, boomer. That yeah. was very dismissive. And it was it was a way of saying you don't count to to me and personally. And I didn't I didn't really take it personally, but I did think at the time, you know, listen, kid, you don't understand what I've been through. You can't just dismiss me. And I didn't do it in an angry way, and I knew it would pass because that that's what our culture is now. We you know all of a sudden the hand waving emoji is anathema for a few weeks, and then fucking people forget it and start using the hand waving emoji again. So I knew it was going to pass, but there is these things that we do in our culture. We tend to minimize things and push things away in order to elevate ourselves. So that generation that said, okay, boomer, that was a way of not so much of putting down the last generation, but a way of feeling good about yourself. I'm better than this boomer, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can definitely see that. Um, but I also think there's a lot of, uh, cause I think there's a lot of like layers to that, um, I don't know, like narrative, I guess. Yeah. And I think a lot of a big part of, or like a big layer of, of that is, um, I think there's a lot of like resentment from like uh, younger generations. Yeah. Towards like that, you know, baby boomer generation. Um, Why would you resent us? Um, I think a lot of that resentment comes from like the current state of like the United States. And I think a lot of people are able to, you know, they learn about and they read about like all these things that, um, that are much harder to do now than they were back then. Yeah. You talk and, about buy a house, things like that. Yeah. Like buying a house, uh, you know, retiring, um, you know, even things like social security, like that's probably going to run out, you know? before anybody def certainly my age can like use it, you know? Right. So I think a lot of the ills of our current society, I think are blamed on those older generations. <laughs> and then at the same time, you hear a lot of stories of like people from that older generation kind of like scolding like the younger generation on like, you know, I did this when I was your age. Yeah. You're like, you know, some like lazy, like millennial that just whines all the time and stuff like that. So I think those two things kind of um, like build up a lot of resentment. I, and I think that has more to do with like that, like, okay, boomer, like mentality than yeah. anything else. Yeah. It, it's dismissive. You... And I understand that, you know, I still, dude, because of what happened to me, I am 58 years old. I have zero retirement. I don't have a fucking dollar in a retirement account. Um, I don't own a house. My truck is 28 years old. I'm living in a, I'm living in a world where it, where everything, when, when it pivoted on me at, at age 35, I never fucking recovered, Lalo, and and I'll, I'll say that with to anybody. I I did recover physically. 
but financially, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, all the things that are intangibles, I never really got my footing back again. And I, I'm just coming to the terms with that now and I'm dealing with it. I am lucky that I am married to someone who had, you know, she got her master's degree. She teaches, she's on her ninth year. She's, um, she just got chair of the department. She's the boss. She makes good money. She's taking care of me and I'm taking care of her the best way I can. I take care of, you know, the house and the cars and the kid and, and I take care of all that. And she takes care of me financially. A lot of people don't have that uh, luxury. And I understand that. And I'm very grateful to her and I'm very grateful for my life. And um, I see how, I see how you would resent people my age who do have the house and the cars and the jobs and the, the money and the status. I see that. And it was, it was a lot easier to get when I was in my twenties. It was like, go to college and it's automatic, you know, yeah. it just happens. And I, and I think I don't, I mean, I'm sure there are people that resent, that have that resentment just, just because like, just because you have a house, you know, or just because you have, you know, certain things. Yeah. But I think most of the resentment comes from not only like people having certain things, but then those same people also just like telling you, like, you know, I have it. So can you like, just do this. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very, um, I think that mindset is pretty, um, maybe not, I don't want to say ignorant, but it's very uninformed. Yeah. It's not, people have this, a lot of people, and this is like a lot of people have this like perception that, you know, you do a certain thing in life. So if you did it, then anybody else could do it, you know? And I really see that from people that, um, were able to like overcome a lot of obstacles in life, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, they, maybe they like grew up poor or maybe they had like a traumatic event in their life and they were able to overcome it and, you know, be successful on the other side. Right. I see that like all the time, you know? So it's like, you know, oh, I grew up without a parent, you know, or, you know, I was a foster kid and, you know, I, grew up went to college and turned my life around and you know then you look at all these other like foster kids and tell them uh, you know I did this you can too which I mean in like on the surface isn't like a bad thing you know right because they could use you as like you know motivation and things like that yeah but when yeah. you start to like almost like scold them you know yeah you can't you can't look up to somebody who's belittling you Right. So, um, yeah, it's very, uh, it's almost like a two edged sword, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm pretty harsh. I I will admit, I I have to say I'm pretty harsh and I'm, am I working on it? Yeah. Um, but it's like part of my demeanor. It's almost like part of my being to be kind of harsh but not belittling like yesterday my my daughter's boyfriend is 16 years old and he's a skater and he's just being 16 and i get that 
but I also get being 16 in 19, well, it would have been 1981, is a hell of a lot different than now. So I asked him yesterday, I said, what's your plan? And he's like, you know, my plan. I'm like, yeah, you, you have, I said, you're 16 years old, man. You have 730 days left before you're 18 years old and whole, everything's going to change for you. He's a foster kid. Yeah. And it, it just made him stop and it made my daughter stop and they looked at each other, you know, and then you start, they start to, I'm just instilling these, it's a harsh way of saying it, but I'm stealing these ideas in their head. They, it's a way to say, you know, wake the fuck up, kid. You know, I wish somebody had done it to me and nobody was there for me. So I'm trying to be there for this generation, for people your age and just tell, you know, make a fucking plan, do something because before you, you know, right back to the beginning of the podcast, you're 16 years old, you're going to blink and you're going to be 60, bro. And it's you, everybody goes, ha ha ha. It ain't fucking funny to a 60 year old. It's a, it's the God's truth that Lala, you're 28. And before you know it, you're going to be in a trenched in a job entrenched in debt and have kids and all kinds of shit's going to happen to you. And you're just going to, are you going to let it happen to you? Or are you going to plan your way through it? That's, that's my, that seems to be my message for, for the younger people people younger than me. Are you just going to let life happen to you? Or are you going to fucking plan your way through this? Yeah. And I mean, that's very like, um, it's very daunting for a lot of people because when you're the one like being told that, you know, yeah, I think it's, it could be very overwhelming because you're dealing with like all the shit that you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, people around you, and I'm sure like a vast majority of the time, it's like with, you know, good intent and they're trying to help you and they're trying to like prepare you and, you know, preempt you for a lot of things that are coming. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that also adds like a level of like pressure, you know, like I got to do something, you know? Yeah. But don't you think that that's good? Because don't we all have to fucking do something? I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing, but I, I think just that pressure, like people react different towards that sort of thing, you know, towards yeah. pressure. Some people like crumble under it. Uh, and some people use it as like, you know, fuel um, motivation. Yeah, yeah. And fuel. Yeah. So I think it just, it, it really depends on the person and, um, I mean, I'll be honest with you, if it's somebody that like can't like handle the pressure or like they they just become even like they just go deeper in their hole because of yeah. it. Like for me, it's it, even for me, it's like hard to think of like, OK, then what do you do? You know, because I do agree, like you have to do something. Yeah. You can't just like ignore your problems and and then hopefully they go away. Um, I did but that I for know, a while. I know a lot of people, um, even like personally, that kind of just like shut down. And that's like the exact opposite of what you want to happen, you know? Yeah. Because that just makes things worse. Yeah. <clears throat> I I used to, I used to shut down when I was a child because I lived in a bad 
situation. And I learned in the military when I was in the Marine Corps, you, you can't do that. It'll kill you. And I try to tell people, you know, that that's a military thing, but I try to tell people if you're going to be a policeman or a fireman or a social worker or all these things that you're going to put yourself in the line of fire, you cannot shut down when they turn the heat up on you. When your client freaks out, you just can't go oh and freeze up. When the house is on fire, you've got to, you know, things are planned out ahead of time. And that's what I try to tell people. Your life, you have to make a plan and things are going to get fucked up and things are going to go sideways on you real, real fast. And it's it's not like you can plan for these things. It's It's that random Tuesday afternoon when you get a call. Hey, man, some people are dead, you know. And uh, we got to do something. Well, you can't just freeze up. And I think that I I, I say it all the time. Military service would be good for a lot of people. <laughs> and no one wants to hear that. <laughs> well, I, I think like the basis of that is like discipline and like mm-hmm. structure would be good for, for a lot of people because right. that's what, you know, people take away from that. And I mean, I know a lot of people that um, like coming out of high school, like they didn't know what they wanted to do, which I mean, in reality, I think that number of or that percentage of like kids is a lot higher. Yeah, it is. It's higher now. I mean, at 18 years old, like, or sometimes even younger, you know, 16, 17 is when people start prepping you and like getting that idea of like, okay, well, you know you're going to go to college. So you have to pick like a career path. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, I can guarantee you most 16 year olds don't know what they want to do in life, you know? Right. Um, and I know, I know of a lot of people that kind of chose the military as, um, as like not so much a path, but almost like a tool to help them find their path, you know? Yeah, I chose it because of my family, because familial uh, history. and But at the same time, I chose it because I had no idea. You know, I had all these ideas run through my head, like, I want to be a diesel mechanic. I remember, you know, I want to be a cowboy and a firefighter and a policeman. And I, I had all these things run through my head. And, and my uncle told me, my Uncle Larry told me, he goes, just go spend two or three years in the military. Find yourself find that discipline fine and it worked i was dude up until the time of my accident i had i was uh married and had four kids and then i got divorced and i got married again i started a business it took off you know my life is very good and i worked hard and i was disciplined and everybody looked at me like that's going to be a successful guy and and I had the business in West Virginia and we sold it and moved to California and everything was just fucking great. And I attribute all that to my time in the military because when I came out of high school, I was coming off of uh, bad parenting, improper decisions, uh, a horrible fucking childhood. And when I went into the military, it was like suddenly, you know, I had friends who were like-minded. I was traveling the world. I was seeing things. I was doing things. I was getting up at certain times. I was doing what I was told. And all that discipline was really motivating to me, that structure. 
And then all that went away on that afternoon when that car accident happened, because all of a sudden, all the structure and discipline that I had was gone. <laughs> I couldn't take care of myself anymore. And here, here you sit. So I try, I, I want to tell people and, you know, by the way, I got a, just as a secondary thought here, I got an email from, um, not spot is Spotify maybe our our uh, audience on Spotify has grown and our audience on Apple Podcasts has grown a lot. People are listening to us, so hi. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. Yeah, I mean, but, I'm having I'm having a good time doing it, but yeah, it's pretty cool. I but I try to tell people and like this is a voice that I can have. This is a a stand that I can have now. It's like everybody you've got to find a plan, especially when you're a youngster, you got to find a plan and you got to follow through with it. And hopefully, hopefully you don't get hit by a fucking car. Cause that screws everything up, man. <laughs> Your parachute don't open. Okay. Let's make a plan. Now you got 40 seconds. What are you going to do? Yeah. And I mean, that happens to a lot of people like, you know, there's that one or two like event in their life that can completely like just throw it off the rails. Um, and I mean, those things can impact people like on such a deep level. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, like, even like you said, you know, your daughter, like to this day, she has no driver's license, right? Which for a lot of people might seem like kind of silly and, you know, funny but because like i mean just the statement like oh yeah i'm like 30 and i don't have a driver's license you know right. if you just say that people kind of like you know oh that's kind of weird you know yeah but what they don't see is like okay, the trauma why right yeah they don't see the trauma i don't i don't date i'm <clears throat> you know i'm 35 years old and i i just don't date oh wow that's fucking weird yeah because i was gang raped when i was 16 Oh, right. fuck. You know, that's when you're like, oh, man, I got to be more understanding to people who aren't telling me the story. And I think that's a key to our culture that we need to learn here that not everybody's talking about their trauma. You know, some people are just fucking weird, Lalo. And you're like, that's a weirdo, you know, but you don't understand what happened to this person prior to that weirdness. Yeah, and I mean, it's um, like even in my line of work, I see uh, I've seen people that at some point and not even like too long ago lived like very normal lives. Yeah. You know, they, you know, you could say they were just a functioning member of like society. And then something happened where, you know, it created like a psychotic break. Yeah. And I think the like the degrees of the events that create those psychotic breaks are very like they vary a lot um to the point where like you really don't know what what happened like what would need to happen for for that to happen to you you know yeah like you get a phone call one day like hey you know your whole family like died in the car accident and for a lot of people like that 
like that could just be too much you know to like process yeah and they just like snap i'm i'm grateful for what i'm grateful for how i was before i had the car accident because when that happened to me i just went into survival mode and my main goal was to get better because i knew uh, a lot of people counted on me and no matter how long it took i was going to get better a lot of people just go into shutdown mode and then yeah. you got some serious problems when that happens because in order to take care of anyone else you have to take care of yourself first and if you don't do that and you don't want to survive and you don't know how to survive you got some serious issues and you end up homeless on you know smoking meth on the sidewalk seen it too many times yeah and i mean <clears throat> it's a scary thought you know yeah it is a lot of people because i'm sure a lot of people also like think of that and like look back at their lives and it's like wow like you know this certain event could have fucked me up pretty good yeah you know or that certain event could have fucked me up pretty bad so it's just um like i don't i don't even know if like there's a way to like not train yourself or like train your brain but just like strengthen like your mental like will almost you know <clears throat> i'm sure a lot of that is done like <clears throat> maybe like in your childhood and growing up you know yeah and like it all the, lessons, it, all the yeah. lessons that you learn as a kid yeah i learned those hard lessons as a child because i grew up in a family with mm -hmm. a very harsh stepfather who you know nothing was ever good enough and nothing was ever fast enough or nothing was ever high enough. And I, everything I did was like, well, you know, <clears throat> Rodney Pete does it better. You know, I grew up with a fucking superstar. <laughs> so yeah. I was never good enough. I never, I never learned that I was good enough. And I carried that with me for a long time. And I still, to this day, think I can do better. I can do better. I can do better. I can do better. It's never good enough for myself. And that, where some people would think that's um, that's the way to superstardom. Some for for most of us who aren't superstars, having that in the back of our head is very tormenting, not not uplifting. Is it? Oh yeah, yeah. It, you know, Tom, the, the Tom Brady's of the world, the few and far betweens. When he says he's not good enough, he damn well means he's going to get good enough. I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm just not good enough. I don't have a plan to get out of it. You know, those kind of things. And it's funny how you talked about it. It happens to you in childhood. You're exactly right. Whatever happens to us in the past shapes our future. Because if you ask the, the average person, how often do you think about your wife coming home from work, getting killed in a car accident? Most people are going to say, that's very morbid. I'm not going to. I don't think about that at all. Lalo, I think about it every fucking week. If it's raining or the traffic's bad or it's foggy, that's almost my first, that's almost my go-to thought. What am I going to do if Laura gets killed? And that's, everybody's like, God damn, you're a fucking sick pervert. And I'm like, no, I lived through the exact same thing and I wasn't expecting it. And it threw everything out of whack. And not that if I if it happened to me today, it wouldn't throw everything out of whack. But I, you can't 
remove those thoughts. You can't. They're just there. Yeah. And I, I mean, don't it, consider it morbid. I consider it just, it just happened to me. It could happen again. Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of those things are like, they become like hardwired for a lot of people. Yeah. I think that's what's happened to me. Cause I mean, that's like the definition of like a traumatic event, you know? Yeah. It's traumatizing you in your current like day to day, like life, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, all it really takes is just one time and uh, you'll remember it like for the rest of your life. Yeah. And then you'll have other moments in life that, you know, even something, even if it like remotely reminds you of that traumatic event, like it'll just all come back. Like yeah. all the feelings, all the emotions. It, you know, I have that. I do have that, but it's fairly, it's, it's been going on in my head for so long. And then I went through therapy and talked about it and it's almost, it's almost an automatic thought that I've learned to go. Yeah, it could, but I, and, and it gets dismissed. Sometimes I can't dismiss it until she pulls in the driveway. And, but I don't let that thought, you know, I'm not, I don't need medication or, or shit like that. And I'm not pacing the floor. It's just like, I'll be working on, uh, I'll be working on our podcast and I'll look up and it'll be five fifteen, And I'm thinking she's usually home by five ten. I hope she's okay. I, and it immediately goes to, what am I going to do? That's you're right. That's the definition of a traumatic event. I can't, I can't stop that. I'm not sitting here, you know, five fifteen. it's time to start worrying. I'm not even really worried. Yeah. So that's, that's very, um, I don't know, like, and I'm, I mean, I have things like that, probably not to that like degree, you know, but there's moments where, like if something doesn't happen as you expect it to happen uh, or as you're used to it happening, mm-hmm. um, like your mind just wanders off into like, you know, okay, what if, what if that it's like the same yeah. thing with people like in relationships, like um, let's say they get like cheated on, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's like, um, you know, let's say you're like, husband or wife or whatever was like oh i'm going to the gym babe and then they're actually like you know going to like somebody's house or something right and then in your next relationship like every time they go out (laughs) i'm going to the gym gym, babe (laughs) it's like you can't help it but like all those thoughts just like rush into your head or maybe they're like 10 15 minutes late because they like stopped at the store after the gym but they forgot to tell you so you're just like your head just instantly goes to that you know with somebody else isn't that interesting it's just it's like programming a computer you can't un you can't do it you can't stop it i i told i tell people this especially in relationships that let's take that example that you use because it's a perfect example you you've got two people here one's traumatized the other one cannot dismiss that trauma that's that seems to be the biggest problem of you know where have you been well, i was at the gym and and then it starts and then there's this fight 
And then there's this uncomfortableness. And then finally somebody says, you know what? I can't trust him. And he says, she's a fucking untrusting bitch. She doesn't trust anybody. But instead of saying that, I try to tell people it's hard to fight with somebody who won't fight with you. And that's a very Buddhist saying. That's a very Buddhist way of looking at things. If I was, I was, when I married Laura, she was coming off of a, like a five-year relationship where he was very abusive and he hit her and he went through her phone and he went through her clothes and you can't wear this and you can't do that. In fact, it got down to, she told me a story where he came home from uh, work and said the gravel in the driveway is different. Who was here? So she was very traumatized in relationship wise. And instead of me, you know, just living my life, like oh, I'm late, I'm late. I'm not going to call her. I went out of my way to soothe her and to, until she learned I'm not that I'm not that guy, but yeah. she had to learn. I'm not that guy because she was traumatized. And if, if you, just refuse to fight. You know, when when your your partner freaks out, everybody fucking freaks out, Lalo. Everybody gets mad. Everybody gets irritated for no reason. Everybody's brain chemistry is off on a random fucking Thursday morning and they snap at you. Don't snap back. Just don't fight. Just say, okay, you're being human right now and I'm going to give you your space. And I'll guarantee you in 15 minutes that will pass instead of a five day fucking fight because somebody woke up feeling terrible. You just have a 15 minutes where you're apart and then you can start talking again. It may be, it may be an hour, but it's not going to be that thing that it could have been. Just don't fight. Just refuse. You don't have to defend yourself every single fucking time. Somebody challenges you. It may not even be a challenge, right? Like we said, it may be some deep-seated trauma that you don't fucking know about. And it's pushing this person to push back against the behavior that you just had, even though you're not even aware of the behavior that you just did. So yeah. try to be more understanding. And I, I think what also needs to happen is there's there's got to be like two, like both people have to put in that effort, you know? Mm-hmm. Like the the person with the trauma has to be able to, and obviously not right away, but like over time, you know, kind of, um, or at least be willing to try to like, not so much put that trauma behind them. Cause I mean, that's almost right. like nearly impossible, but, you know, try to like live around it, you know, not so much through it. Um, you know, like in your example of like, you know, uh, of your wife that you kind of had a like, you know, you knew what she went through. So you like went out of your way to like, yeah, absolutely. Like that. Yeah. Um, like that part's important, you know, like the person being able to like understand and, um, you know, do things they normally wouldn't because they know that their partner's going through this. But I think just as important, the other person has to be able to like, um, at least over time, um, you know, I mean, in that, in this case, kind of like learn to trust again, you know, and yeah, like that. because I mean, I think if it stays just 
on the other person the whole time. I think that like really breaks people down over time. Yeah, it does. It, it, it really, you know, you're absolutely correct. You're, you're, man, you're spot on this morning because the person that recognizes the other person has the trauma, me in this case, okay, I, I'm dealing with somebody that's psychologically damaged. Let's see where we can go with this and adjust for it and do that. And her, on the other hand, even though it took her a while, you know, so you can't, you can't coax a, a little kitten out from underneath the house with a bowl of milk in 30 seconds. It's not how it happens. They left to learn to trust you. So she, I had to recognize she had the trauma. She had to recognize that I'm trying, you know, my extra phone calls, my extra hug, my extra sit down and let's talk about the problems that we're having, you know, all that. And that's where that communication is. And even in the deepest, darkest, traumatic events, she is very understanding of sometimes I just, I'm overwhelmed with my grief still, even after 20 some years. And I recognize that there are moments I can see it in her eyes when I say or do something and she, she'll flinch. And it's like, okay, I, we got to back out of this situation right now because it's going to lead to a problem. So we both have to be awake to the situation and not hyper vigilant. I'm not saying that, but we have to be aware that the other person can and will be a human at certain times in their life. You, you, you can't avoid it. And I think that's where we as a, as a culture and going back to the millennials versus, versus the Gen X, it, it, there's always this us versus them mentality when there could be those Gen Xers went through a hell of a lot. They've seen more cultural changes in 50 years than there's been since the dawn of history. They might have something to say. And I, on the other hand, look to you and I'm like, you know what, dude, I need help understanding the world today because I'm still looking at the world from 1970s. You're looking at the world from 2020s, 2010s. And I got a lot to learn here in order for me to communicate with you, in order for me to sit down every every week for to, to have a discussion with you for an hour. That's unheard of between your people your age and people my age we shouldn't be talking and uh, you know what i mean yeah and we i mean a lot of times you don't even have to like come to an agreement or like you know right be on the same page i think for a lot of people just like <clears throat> just knowing that the other person is like trying yeah. like genuinely trying for a lot of people that's like more than enough you know yeah yeah. And I think it, that's the part that kind of gets lost a lot of a lot of the time. And you know, that's how over time, especially like in relationships you get like resentment because, you know, you might be trying or you know, you might be grateful that, you know, hey, I'm really like, you know, I know it's tough sometimes or whatever. Um but thank you for like doing this. Thank you for like calling me, you know, uh every time you're on your way home. Yeah. You know, even though, you know, you've never had to do that because you know that it, you know, makes me feel better or, you know, whatever, whatever the thing may be. 
Yeah, and that creates a bond between people of trust and love and appreciation and all those things. But in right. order to get that bond, you have to you have to take that time to find out what these puzzle pieces are and put them together. Yeah. So I mean, I think that's why communication is like so important because you know you can be feeling one thing but then if you don't like communicate that yeah um the other person like might not have any idea you know yeah I, I for know. the good and for the bad things you know i know you have be going through like a lot of like pain and stress and all these things but if you don't really communicate that um you know to people around you then it's kind of hard for them to be able to help you you know communication is key i i can't tell i can't tell people enough communication is key and mm -hmm. it's become some sort of like a fucking t-shirt slogan now about communication because people don't really think about it in order to communicate you have to love and understand and all kinds of things you have to you have to be honest and that's the hardest thing to do to be honest about your feelings especially when you don't have when you have a partner that doesn't understand i could listen dude i can tell laura i can say um or she could say to me honey i i don't want to talk right now i don't want you in my life in my face you let's just you need to leave me alone i don't take that personally lalo i don't I'm like, yeah, because sometimes I don't want to see your fucking face either. It's just, <laughs> it's just, it's not, it's not, I hate you or anything. It's just like, I just need time to settle down a little bit before someone comes in and starts poking me, you know, I, I can yeah. take a lot. I could take a lot and my wife can take a lot. And I think all of us could, if we toughened up just a little bit, but we need to tell each other what's going on in our heads when we reach a breaking point. It doesn't need to be all the time. You don't need to tell me all the time your fucking feelings. That's that's touchy feely bullshit. I don't I don't believe that. But when you are upset or angry or conversely, when you're super happy, I get texts all the time from my wife that and it's the she says, I'm super loving you right now. Thanks. That's what the fuck I needed in order to stay in a relationship. People don't do it. You know, just, hey, every, hey guys, listen, uh, text your partner. Don't fake it. But when, <laughs> when you're driving down the road and you, you get that little smile on your face and you think, man, I really, really love my girlfriend or I really, really love my wife. Tell them, text them, call them. It, it, it'll do so much to heal yourself and your relationship because it makes you feel good to make another person feel good. And then there's that bond. And then the next time they're upset with you, it may not be as bad, you know? Yeah. My, my father, my father-in-law right now is in a world of fucking agony married to a person that he hates and she hates him and they just fight constantly. If they're not talking, they're fighting. And, <laughs> Yeah, dude, it's fucking horrible. And the names they call each other and mm. the threats. And I can't imagine living like that after experiencing mm. the marriage that I'm in now. 
I have had marriages in the past and, and points in the past where I'm just like, God damn, this is so bad. How do people do this? And now I look back and I feel bad for him because he's living in a world that's not good. It's not communicative. It's not loving. It's not caring, kind, empathetic. It's nothing positive. The only thing they're doing is just breaking each other down and for the sole sake of breaking each other down. Why are they still uh, together? It, co codependence. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah. It's a codependent relationship. And um, he came out to visit us for, I don't know if I've told you this, but he for years we told him we don't fight. Laura and I don't fight. And he was like, ha, 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 yeah, right. Fucking right. I fight with my wife every fucking day. And I'm like, well, we don't. We just don't. We just walk away from it. Like, And I, I told him about that Buddhist thing that I have. It's hard to fight with somebody who won't, you know, won't fight with you. <laughs> Period. Yeah. So he came out here and spent two weeks with us. And he saw how kind and considerate and loving and caring and communicative. And we hug and we laugh and we we love and there's this spirit of understanding between my wife and I that we're just going to be okay. We believe that we're going to be okay. And he took that back with him. And he said for a month, I really tried. I seriously tried. And she never softened a bit. She made fun of him, you know, and pushed him right back to fuck you. I don't want to do this anymore. So now they're stuck in it again, and I, I feel bad for him. And I know that a lot of people are like that, and there are varying levels of that because people are miserable with each other and will stay with each other. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of that, uh, like there's a lot of different reasons for that too, why people stay. I mean, I think codependence is probably like the main one. Yeah, financial, and there's all kinds yeah. of things, yeah. And then... I think also when you're older, well, I wouldn't say, because I think at some point it like doesn't really matter, but I would say when you're in your like 30s and like probably definitely 40s um, and you've like been with somebody for a long time and, um, you know, it's like really bad yeah, to the point where you, you actually like want to leave. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you're wondering where to hide the body yeah. a lot of people <laughs> when they're I think in that like age window like one thing that goes through their head is that they don't want to like have to start over yeah. you know <clears throat> if you're 23 25 um, and you've been someone with five years you know and they like it just got really bad I think it's a lot easier to leave at that point because, yeah. you know, you're still young in your eyes, like, okay, you know, I'll find somebody else. But, you know, when you're 30, like 35, 45, you know, you got kids, you know, you got a house, you got all these things already. Like you, your life, which you thought was already like established, like when that falls apart, having to like start all over from nothing. Yeah. It's like terrifying. Yeah. Uh, I know. My first divorce was at 29 and I mm -hmm. left with what I could fit in my car, you know, 
And my yeah. second divorce, my wife was so damaged from losing her child. I just gave her everything, including the house and walked away with what I could have fit in my car. And my third divorce was what I could fit in my tractor trailer. So I keep starting over and I have started over a bunch and it's not daunting to me because I've done it so many times. But the thing is, I understand the fear of the unknown is sometimes greater than the desire to get out of the situation you're in. And yeah. my father-in-law's over 70, man. And it's not. Yeah, a- I think at that point, like, that's why I said it was like, I think the window's like 30 to like, even like early fifties. Yeah. But I think after that, like, you know, if you're 65 and when you're 65 getting a divorce, like, I don't think there's much. Yeah. Like aspirations of like, Oh, I want to remarry, you know? All that means really for you at, at that age is uh, if you can, you know, depending on how the chips fall in the divorce, you might end up in a fucking small apartment somewhere eating cat food if you're not careful. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I feel bad for him, but I, we could boil it down to what we just talked about is you've got to fucking communicate. You've got to be honest and forthright and if you don't love your partner you got to figure a way to amicably get out of it because there's no what a waste of life which is what i try to tell him it it seems like such a waste that you're you're a great musician you're a kind person you're funny you're all these things that are so positive and you're stuck in this with this person that you do not like and that's okay You know, it's okay to say, I don't like her because that's just being honest. If you're not compatible with somebody, I I don't want to be in a relationship with somebody that I I don't like. I won't even be friends with somebody that I don't like. So how can I live under the same roof? It's a sad case. It's a sad case. But I'll, I'll end with this. I talked to my neighbor the other day. He's 38 and he's, he's trying to he's trying to communicate. He's trying, he's starting to learn. And he, he said the other day, he's like, I just came out of this thing where I, I stopped talking to people because of Donald Trump. And I was like, Oh, you know, I didn't know where this fucking conversation was going to go. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Like, Oh shit. I need Lalo. <laughs> but he said, I realized that that's just a part of me. You know, and if I if I come across somebody who's a non-Trump supporter or or whatever, and then he branched out of that, he's like, it doesn't matter what my beliefs are. I need to I need to communicate with other people, and I need to make friends because I can learn something off a Democrat. I can learn something off a Republican. I can learn something off a a trans person. I can learn all these things that I need to learn to be a better person. All I need to do is drop the wall of we use these walls of protection. I I'm a Donald Trump supporter. So therefore I'm going to shut everything out and I'm going to live in this world. And he, he really eloquently eloquently put it for, um, for somebody who was 38 years old, he eloquently said, and he's, he's not educated. He just said, I needed to get along with people and I need to be more honest with people and I can learn things and I can be a better person. And I was like, wow, I was blown away, Lalo. 
you don't hear that from a lot of people his age. Yeah, it's very um <clears throat> it's like a lot of uh introspection going on there. Yeah, yeah. I didn't ask him what trauma that he had come across to make him do that, but I'll find out later, I guess. <laughs> It's not like you're eating a pork chop at dinner and you think, man, I need to be more introspective. <laughs> Sometimes that's when it happens. That's when that, you get, get that uh, realization. <laughs> I had a pork chop epiphany, man. I need to be better person. <laughs> right on. Well, Lalo, thank you, brother. Thank you. Um, I appreciate you. I hope to see you next week. Uh, yeah. All right. Now, listen, everybody. You don't have to listen to all hours. Just listen to this last 15 seconds. Stop, think, and be more communicative, empathetic, kind, and understanding, and you'll have a whole lot better life. Learn how. <laughs> have a good week, man. You too. Later, bro. Later. You have been listening to The Thoroughly Wrong Project with your hosts, Francisco and Robert. If you enjoyed today's show, like, follow, leave a comment, and then look in the description where you'll find our website, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. Until next time, thanks for listening. And just remember, never be afraid to be thoroughly wrong. <laughs>